All right, as you guys are having a seat, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I just want to say uh, thank you for providing for us so we could go and have vacation. It was an awesome vacation, and uh, as my friend John and I were talking about earlier, one of the things we discovered when we were down there is that there are universities in the Caribbean that really need churches to be planted next to them. So yeah, kind of like, hey, time for Grace Bible Church to get into the, into the Caribbean. Um, actually, one of the things we experienced is, is uh, what we experience every time we go on a trip or to the store or anywhere we go, and that is that God has prepared conversations ahead of time for us. Um, my wife is actually really, is, is also especially good at this. She, as we were um, getting onto the plane, she was just reminded all of us, you know, that we're going to have opportunities. God's already thinking about who we're going to interact with and who we're going to speak to and who will meet new people. And, you know, she's very expectant in that regard. And, you know, it didn't fail. We had a couple of we had several just really amazing conversations with people. One was with um, a lady named Cindy. Uh, I went downstairs one morning, actually went downstairs every morning, and the great thing about this hotel is there was a Starbucks on the first floor, so every morning I went downstairs, and I was uh, about to go get my, my coffee, and I saw this lady. She was uh, a, a security guard, and I say that kind of lightly because it's kind of like just island security. You know I mean? She's kind of standing there, really. Um, but she looked a little bit sad, so I went up and I talked to her and checking on her and um, said, can I get you a cup of coffee? She said, oh, that'd be really nice. Said, what do you want? Iced coffee. Went in, got her an iced coffee, and we chatted a little bit. And then the next day, kids and I were waiting for Tristy, which is kind of typical. Honestly, I mean, yeah, it, let's be honest. So we were waiting, and we went back in the lobby, and there was my wife, and she was talking with Cindy again, and you know, I could tell they were in a really deep conversation. We walked up, and it uh, turns out Cindy, I, I picked up right that she was a little bit Sad the previous day, she's kind of in shock a bit because she had just found out that she has breast cancer and she was trying to get into her doctor to, to um, figure out what next steps were and she couldn't get in and she was, you know, um, discouraged by that and a little bit fearful and that kind of thing. And so Tristy was uh, talking with her and we walked up and, and she kind of related the story. And I said, well, hey, can, can we just pray for you? So we held hands. I said, hey, you know, we should probably keep our eyes open since you're a security guard. So, you know, it wouldn't be good. Security guards, eyes closed. Head so we just held hands, eyes open right there in that place and prayed for her and uh, been able to keep up with her by email and text and find out how things are going and keep praying for her. Um, another night we were, decided we wanted to leave the hotel and go into town to a place called Fish Fry. It's kind of this string of seafood restaurants. And so we called a cab, got in the cab, and I sat in the front seat, started talking to our cab driver, and figured out that he, uh, he's half Bahamian and half Haitian. And um, I know, like, I have... I know one Haitian really well. Like, I have some other Haitian friends, but I know one Haitian really well. So I thought, hey, what the heck? I know, I know it's a country, but I'll just ask. Any chance you know my friend, right? And he did, right? I mean, isn't that amazing? You know, small world. Because uh, as it turns out, uh, our cab driver, was he's pastoring a church among the Haitian community in the Bahamas. And my friend is a guy I went to seminary with, and he was the president of the seminary in Port-au-Prince. And I didn't realize this. I mean, he's just a guy I went to seminary with a friend, but he's kind of famous in all of Haiti. So, oh, you know Edner Janti. He's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so we connected, and as we're driving along, I was able to pray for him, for his wife, for his kids, for the church, for everything, uh, and then got his cell number, and we were able to, to stay in contact. You know, we had, and we just had kind of one conversation after another with people where sometimes we got into spiritual things, sometimes we were just able to tell them, Thank you, thank you for serving us. Sometimes we're able to get into the gospel or share our testimony. But you know, even even on vacation, it was just 
conversation after conversation after conversation because the Lord had prepared a way. And what I want you to hear this morning is simply this. Your life has been set apart by God. Right? You were made on purpose by God for a purpose. And when you're expecting God to open up those opportunities, you're going to see them a lot more clearly and a lot more quickly. So this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to look at uh, one of the early characters in the New Testament, John the Baptist, a man whose life was set apart. And I want to take some lessons from his life so that we're, we're, we're also expecting that our lives also as being set apart are going, to, are going to open up opportunities for us to live with God and for God. All right, so Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. Chapter 1 and verse 8 is where I'd like to start reading. It says this, now, it happened that while he, that is, while Zacharias, who was John the Baptist's father, while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense, now, I've, I've never seen an angel, but I've always thought it would be really cool to see an angel. It would be remarkable. But the fact is, if you look at all the angelic appearances throughout the Bible, it's a frightening thing. Right? I, I kind of go, oh, it would be really cool. But when it happens, it freaks people out. Like, every time it freaks people out. And John's father is, is no exception to that. Every time someone sees an angel, the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's frightening. So uh, verse 12, it says, Zacharias was troubled, which is a very tame translation. It means to be thrown into confusion. Zacharias is an old man. He's been working as a priest for his entire adult life. He's never seen an angel. Now he's in the temple. And this just completely unhinges him. It says he was thrown into confusion when he saw the angel and fear literally fell on him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is still in his mother's womb. Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth have been longing for, praying for their their entire married life that they would have a child, and they haven't been able to. And now God says, you're going to have a son. But through the angel, the Lord says also, your son's going to be different. But he's going to be an unusual young man. And, you know, if, as parents, we, we want our kids to be unusual, right? We want them to be special. We want them to be unique. But we also kind of want them to fit in, right? We kind of want, want both. John the Baptist didn't fit in. Right? He, was a really, he was a really unusual character. Now, um, let me illustrate this. Anybody watch uh, America's Got Talent? Anybody watch that? Right. Yeah. Okay. Two hands up. Okay. Yeah. It's a fun show. Uh, I like it better than just the singing shows because you get all kinds of acts. I mean, it's kind of all over the map, right? It was based on Britain's Got Talent, but there's actually, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, the world has talent, right? There's one that comes from like all over the world and there's some really, really, really super unusual acts. Uh, so I, yesterday I was just kind of looking up some of the more unusual ones. One that I saw that I thought was really crazy was uh, this guy. He's a professional regurgitator. Right? <laughs> As if that's a profession, right? So he, he swallows stuff and then he spits it, spits it back out. This is the time he, was, he swallowed a light bulb and then spit it back, 
you're groaning. I thought this was really cool. Um, that was interesting. There, typical guys, there's a guy who swallows a sword. Or there, I've seen many of those kind of guys. But there was one guy in particular. He swallowed a sword, and then the hilt was, was real broad. And to the hilt, they connected a chain, two chains that went back like this. And with the sword down his throat, he pulled a car. That was really cool. And then there's another guy. He put a drill down his throat. That was pretty amazing. Um, you know, what's interesting is all of the really crazy stuff is done by guys, right? I mean, you know, um, there was, a, but there was another guy, he made it all the way to the semifinals. He's called Bobby Badfingers. He snapped, his tongue was snapping, which that one I'm like, this is dumb. But, um, it, that reminded me of a story my parents told me when they were growing up, they went to a little church, Emmanuel Baptist church in Mount Vernon, Washington. And every Sunday there would be special music, right? And some of the music was more special than others, right? And they said there was one guy who would stand up and he would whistle a hymn, right? His special music was whistling. And I just, I mean, I imagine being a high school kid, seeing that, just going, oh my gosh, you know, I, I would not be able to keep a straight face. But I thought, well, before America's Got Talent, there was church special music, right? You know, so-and-so, my daughter's amazing. Okay, <laughs> we'll put her up, right? But, you know, America's Got Talent, they're kids too that do crazy stuff. And I wonder if the parents are just sitting in the audience thinking, why didn't she take up the violin, right? right? Or, you know, just work on your fastball, son. That's just such an unusual thing. Well, John the Baptist, he's unusual. Right? He's not like the other kids. And there are two phrases in particular that the gospel writers point out. One is he'll drink no wine or liquor. And, you know, in our culture we say, okay, well, that's not so unusual. But in their culture, that was very unusual. Because at every meal, wine was served. Even for the kids, a little bit of wine would be put into the water to purify the water if it wasn't pure. So it's a pretty unusual thing. And some have said, well, uh, maybe this, he was a Nazarite. Right? He, took, he took vows. Nazarites would not drink wine or liquor. They would never cut their hair. But the point was really not uh, the specific things that they didn't do as much as that they lived a life that was set apart from the culture. Right? And John the Baptist lived a life that was uh, distinct. It was, it was set apart. It was unusual. And I, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a friend like this, but I, I had one in college. He just lived differently. And you know, on some levels, it made the rest of us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Now looking back, his life wasn't that unusual, but he was just really disciplined in uh, the time that he was reading the word and memorizing the word and time that he was in prayer. And he'd he'd walk around campus and he would have scripture memory cards and he was consistently sharing his faith and he spent a lot of time in prayer. He's just a, he was just different. And I remember feeling a little bit like, oh, that's, you're like a little extreme, but also really challenged and inspired by his life. And I kind of wanted to imitate the way that he lived. Uh, and he's, he's stayed on that path for his entire life. He lives a different life, and it's really a beautiful life. I had another friend. I was a, as a sophomore. met him when he was an incoming freshman, and he filled out a little howdy card. I wanted to get involved at Ministry and Grace, and so I took his howdy card, and we met at the MSC and heard his testimony, and I began to ask him about what he wanted to get involved in. He, was, he said, well, you don't want to get involved, but I don't want to get too involved, right, because you know, I, I want to really have a whole college experience and I want to be in student government and I want to uh, get in uh, AMC and I want to play intramurals and I want to, so I don't want to like go crazy with my Christian faith. I just kind of want to, it's like, it's like another club, right? He's, yeah, it's, I mean, for him, it was just like 
another club that he would give a little bit to, but not too much. And you know, by the end of his time at A&M, he was not walking with the Lord. Because really the Christian life only works for you when you're all in. Right? It only really works when, when you give your, your entire life to Christ. So John lived a different life. It was a life that was set apart. Literally it was a life that was holy. Right? And when I, when I heard the word, word holy, I don't, I don't usually have positive connotations. I don't know about you, but I, th- I think of, oh, holy is all the things that you can't do, right? All the things you don't do. But that's not the biblical concept. The biblical concept is, is wholeness, right? Holiness means doing all of the things that bring you life and God protecting you from the things that steal life from you. And what happens for a lot of us is we, we either in our Christian life, sometimes in stages, but sometimes consistently, we, we get just enough of Christ to kind of make us always feel guilty, but not enough to really give us joy. The, the life that brings joy and fulfillment is the life that is completely set apart to the Lord. We give all to the Lord. We, we go all in for the things that give life, and we stay away from the things that bring death or steal life from us. John's an example, like an inspiring example of someone who's all in. And so he's, he is said to be uh, av- avoiding these certain things. And it doesn't really matter what he avoided in terms of wine or liquor as much as he stayed away from the things that brought death. Second phrase that is applied to him is that he was filled with the Spirit even while he was still in his mother's womb. Now, uh, this week I told Tracy I was teaching on John the Baptist. She goes, what does this phrase mean that he's filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb? It doesn't mean that he was born saved, right? It doesn't mean that, that he was saved as a believer. Remember where we are in, in um, redemption history. We're actually, in a sense, at the very end of the Old Testament era. John is still living in the Old Testament era, and so we have to understand this uh, concept of, of the filling of the Spirit in Old Testament terms. Um, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would, would fill people or come upon people or fall on people for a specific act of obedience, a courageous act of obedience, uh, or, or to give information that they would convey like prophets, and then the Spirit would, would leave. So the Spirit could come and the Spirit could go. So the Spirit came on Saul, for example, right? And Came on him once, he prophesied, he never prophesied again. Then toward the end of his life, when he was living in rebellion against God, the Spirit left Saul. It wasn't a statement of, of his salvation or non-salvation or loss of salvation. In fact, uh, the prophet Balaam, who was not a follower of the Lord, he was from another nation, he was a pagan prophet, the Spirit of God came on him and he prophesied. Right? And then when he was choosing to not want to follow God's direction, his Uh, The Spirit of God came on his donkey, right? And his donkey prophesied. So the Spirit of God coming upon him means that God's Spirit empowered John and gave John direction, even from the time that he was still in his mother's womb. So much so that when his mom Elizabeth saw Mary for the first time, John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb. He's like, yes, my cousin, he's Messiah. He's right over there, right? I don't know. I just made that part up. But he, right, he, the Spirit of God was speaking to him and empowering him even before he was born. That's, that's really unusual. But Jesus would say later, John the Baptist is the, is the greatest prophet. 
greater than all the other Old Testament prophets. He's the greatest prophet. But, but you know what? The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And one of those reasons is because you have been set apart by the Holy Spirit who indwells you forever, who empowers you and who has sealed you for the day of redemption. And so Jesus can say, the one who is living after my death and burial and resurrection indwelled permanently by the Spirit is even greater than John the Baptist, set apart by God. I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139 and verse 13. It's one of my favorites of David's Psalms. I read it frequently. Psalm 139 verse 13 because it's so incredibly encouraging to me. Verse 13 it says, For you, Lord, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all of your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written, all of the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David says, Lord, I understand this. That before I was born, you knew me. Before I was conceived, you had a plan for me. You had laid out all of the days. And then when I was being formed in my mother's womb, you were right there. You were guiding. You were directing. What that means for us, men and women, is that no matter how you came into this world, and no matter what your family background, and no matter what your skill set is like, no matter what you, your physical body or your intelligence is like, God formed you particularly. You are unique. You are special. And you are set apart by God for a purpose. You were made on purpose. And you are made for a purpose. And you are unique. I love this uh, statement by St. Augustine. He said, you move us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You made us for, for, for yourself. We belong to you. We were created by you and for you. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That is, we will only experience what life is really all about when we're all in. When we give just a little bit, we get just enough to nag at us and make us feel guilty, but not to bring us joy. We were set apart by God and for God. Second, we were set apart for others. Turn back to the book of Luke with me again. Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Luke 1, verse 76, this is Zacharias prophesying. He said, And you, child, that is my, my son, John, who will be called the Baptist, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I, I don't remember if I've ever told you about this or not before, but... Um, when I was when I was growing up, my mom had uh, had china, set of china, really nice china, and we only brought it out a few times a year, right? So Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, or when uh, somebody came over as a real special meal, right? And uh, those always as a kid, those just like baffling to me. I'm like, why why do you need two dish, sets of dishes, right? And why do you need another set of dishes that you don't even use very often? So I remember even as a little kid, I told my mom, I said, you know, if if you give me these dishes someday, then 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to melt the gold off of them and sell the gold and throw away the dishes, right? And so um, I'm pretty sure in the, in the will that I don't get the china. I <laughs> think my sister gets the china. But I just, I, you know, I, do, I, I wanted to communicate to my mom, um, so I, I, I let her know that I've, I've grown. And I understand, I, under, I get the point now, right? I, I get the point. And, and if I get the dishes someday, I won't let the cats eat on the china. They're for special occasions, Right, they're, they're set apart for a special moment, for special people, for a, for a special event, and they communicate value. Well, God has set you apart for himself and for a specific purpose, a purpose that no one else on earth can fulfill. John had a special purpose, and what was that? To prepare Israel to receive Messiah. So I want you to turn to the very final book, of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. As John will quote about himself from uh, the book of Isaiah, his dad will quote from the book of Malachi. There's a prophecy made in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, and verse 1. The Lord speaking through Malachi says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then the final words of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah for the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now, John's role was this. Go and get people ready to receive Messiah. And the question that comes to my mind is simply this, why weren't they ready? What, what was it in their lives that made them ill-prepared to receive Messiah? Turn to the first book now, just a few pages over to Matthew chapter 3. And I'll give you two reasons that I think they were not ready. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. So now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now two reasons I think that Israel wasn't ready. The first is that they had lost hope. Right, so we were just in Malachi, and you probably turned two or three pages to Matthew, and those two or three pages represent 400 years. <laughs> those two or three pages represent 400 years of silence in which God didn't pour out his spirit on any prophets. No prophets brought any news to the people. They didn't bring any words of, of judgment or of blessing, of blessing or of cursing. They didn't, they didn't speak for 400 years God's people had silence and they were wondering, God, have you forgotten about us? And now we're being oppressed by, by Rome and we're experiencing poverty and disease and demonic oppression and they had lost hope. And so when John shows up in the wilderness and he begins to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we're told that people flock to him out of Jerusalem and in the area of Judea because John was restoring hope. Now the second reason that they weren't ready is, is there was a group that hadn't just lost hope, but they had false hope. 
Read with me in verse 7. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There were people in Israel who had false hope, specifically the leaders of the people, because they believed that since they had Abraham's blood in their veins, they were good and it didn't matter how they lived. And so they lived selfish lives. They told people to do one thing, but they did something else. They're very greedy people. They're very very self-righteous people. They set standards for righteousness that were artificial, that only they could keep. But then they broke the more fundamental standards of righteousness, kindness, mercy, humility. And John says it matters how you live. Right? You've put your hope in the fact that your physical descendants of Abraham, but God says, I can take stones and make children for Abraham. Therefore, turn your life so that you're ready. You're no longer, you're no longer living with, with false hope in your own self-righteousness or your own genetic uh, history, but you are instead preparing your heart to receive Messiah. Right? So there were those who had lost hope John spoke to. There were those who were false hope that John confronted. And if you look at the course of his ministry, I'm going to say there are three character qualities that emerged in John, the first of which was courage. Because John had to speak to power. And he had to speak a message of confrontation to power. So remember, we're right at the end, in a sense, of the Old Testament era. John is the last and greatest Old Testament prophet. But if you read the Old Testament prophets, one of the things you will notice is nobody wanted to be a prophet. Right? There, wasn't, there weren't any little boys running around saying, Oh my gosh, I hope when I grow up I get to be a prophet. Because being a prophet was exceptionally difficult. In fact, those who are called to be a prophet almost always run from the job, and God has to chase them down. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 20. Isaiah, chapter 20, is the shortest chapter in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 20, and verse 1. It says, in the year that the commander came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and he fought against Ashdod and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke through Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and a token against Egypt and Cush, so Egypt and Cush will go naked and barefoot. So, did you catch that? Isaiah walked around town for three years naked. I mean, you know, that is just, that's not, I mean, I just imagine, right, in this day and age, I'd get fired, right? I mean, you, if I said, oh, it's okay, uh, I'm a prophet. I can preach to you naked. I mean, I mean, it's just crazy. Just prophets did crazy stuff. Turn the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 and 
Verse 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. What an awesome privilege for you, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. Lord, please, like Moses, send whoever you want. God says, Yeah, I want you. Because well, anybody but me. Last Lord God, I can't do it. I'm, I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. Send anybody else. But the Lord said to me, false. Do not say, I am a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. All that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, why would Jeremiah have been afraid? Because he knew he was being sent to a stubborn and rebellious people who would reject everything that he had to say. And in fact, they did. And then they took Jeremiah and they bound him and they threw him into a cistern. And he had to live at the bottom of a well in the the mud and the dirt and the water at the bottom of a well. Got sores all over his body. He was just absolutely miserable. That's that's the job of a prophet. Ezekiel is another great illustration. Um, Ezekiel was told, what I want you to do, Ezekiel, is I want you to make a brick and on the brick, I want you to ascribe the name of Jerusalem because it's going to represent the city. And then what I want you to do is I want you to, to pretend that this city is under siege. And you're just going to, you're going to lay there and you're going to build a ramp up like it's, you know, like it's Legos, right? And throw little rocks on it. And just, you're going to pretend. You're just going to lay there and play. There, you're going to lay on your side for 390 days. Right? And then when 390 days are over, you get to roll over, and for another 40 days, you're going to roll on the other side, and you're just going to... So that's going to be your life, right? This is your life, Ezekiel. Which was nothing, in some respects, I would say, to Hosea's life. Hosea, I want you to get married. All right, I get married. I want you to marry that lady over there, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time that she's not going to be faithful to you. Could, could, could I, is there a plan B, Lord? Could I pick some... No, I want you to marry her. She's going to be unfaithful. She's going to leave you. And when she leaves you, she's going to live with another man. But you're going to provide for her. You're going to send money. She won't know that you're the one providing for her. But then he's going to throw her out of the house. And when he throws her out of the house, I want you to go. And you're going to take her again and bring her back into your house. And I want you to do this in front of the whole community so that they can all see your humiliation. Because it's a picture of the way that I love Israel. It's grace. Your life will be this symbolic gesture of who I am and what I'm doing in the world. Nobody wanted to be a prophet. John the Baptist had a really hard calling too. Turn back to the book of Mark, chapter 1, and verse 4. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. It says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. That's a rough life. That's a, that is an unusual life. John, you, what you're going to do is you're going to go, you're going to find the beehives and you're going to dig into them and you're going to dip your grasshoppers into the honey. This is going to be, which, and you're going you're, you're to wear something that's less comfortable than a burlap sack. You're going to wear a camel's hair jacket you're gonna, you're gonna, and you're going to live in the wilderness, which that's a little detail we skip over. Let me show you what that looks like. Um, I pulled in a couple slides real quick. This is the wilderness of Judea and there were areas 
where there were a few springs and at the edge of it was the Jordan River. Um, and periodically in the spring, you'd have the spring rains would come and grass would come up and the flowers and then the heat would come quickly and all of that would fade away. And this is where John lived out his calling. And his calling was to preach a really hard message and to speak to the powerful people and say, you're just a bunch of snakes and you're a bunch of hypocrites and you're just faking it. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees even had to confront Herod. Herod, you stole your brother's wife. You're living with your brother's wife. That's sin. It's not appropriate. So remember, Herod locked him up and eventually was uh, tricked into taking his head. John lost, John lost his life. John had a hard, hard ministry. It's a ministry that required courage. I, I love this quote by Edgar Allan Poe. He said, the best things in life make you sweaty. Isn't that awesome? The best things in life are not the easy things. The things that really make an impact on others and on the world are the things that are hard. The soft life, the easy life, is not the life of deep and abiding impact on the world. That means you, men and women, as people who have been set apart for God, for others, that's not an easy calling. It's not an easy calling. It's a calling that requires courage. But with the courage, John also displayed incredible humility. Turn to the book of John, chapter 1, in verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is John's testimony when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny, but he said, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Then who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, and they said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet? John answered and he said, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to tie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I because he existed before me. Now read verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his own disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. See, John delivered a really hard message for people to hear, but nevertheless, because some of their their hearts were soft, they gathered around him and they wanted to be baptized. And John was growing this ministry. He even had disciples around him who were devoted to him personally. And, And really, that's the goal of ministry, right? To gather people. The goal of ministry is to gather people for Jesus. So John gathers them and then he sends them away. Two of his own disciples, he's standing with them and he's, they're, they're following John and John sees Jesus. He says, that's who you need to follow, go. Right? He, he, he sent away his following. Why? Because he knew that 
there was no one like Jesus. He said, I don't even have the right to untie a thong in his sandal. Later, John's disciples would come. There was a big discussion about purification. They said, well, you know, Jesus, he said one thing, you're saying another. He's over there, he's baptizing. He's baptizing more people even than you're baptizing. And, and John says, you don't get it. He must increase, but I must decrease. John didn't, John didn't diminish his own role. John didn't diminish his significance. John just put his role in the proper place relative to Jesus. And he said, he must increase, I must decrease. He must be remembered, I must be forgotten. Are you, are you willing, in a sense, to, to become obscure, to let your name be forgotten so Jesus' name can be known? I think most of you know my, my friend Greg Motti came in a couple months ago and he, he spoke here. Um, he's the guy who started Breakaway. And one of the things I love about Greg is he's a genuinely uh, humble man. And he, he has worked to remain humble, even when he gets opportunities to be exalted. And I remember uh, early in our friendship, he said, you know, I pray, Brian, I pray that my name would be forgotten. Pray my name would be forgotten and Jesus' name would be remembered. So um, one time when he was, uh, you know, he's a great communicator and he's getting these invitations. He got an invitation to speak at a, a big, uh, big church. And um, there's a deacon that was introducing him ahead of time. And, you know, he, every time before he speaks, I pray that my name would be forgotten and Jesus' name would be remembered. Right? It's kind of one of the things he just pray all the time. So um, Deacon introduced him and he said, you know, we have a young man uh, speaking to us this morning. He's a really excellent communicator. I want to introduce to you Reverend Craig Knott. <laughs> so, okay, prayer answered. It's not that they'll forget my name. They'll never know my name, right? <laughs> That's humility. May I be obscure, but Jesus is known. Third quality that emerged in John's calling was honesty. Turn to Matthew Chapter 11 and verse 1. Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he sent words, word by his disciples, he said, are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor of the gospel preach to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me or stumble over me. See, uh, John did everything that God had called him to do. And then his life didn't turn out as he expected. He was completely obedient. And then he found himself in prison which is unusual. The, the forerunner to the king should be moving toward the palace and instead he finds himself in a prison, not in a palace. And he, he's call, he says please to his disciples, please go and ask Jesus, did, did I miss it? Did I hear something wrong? Because life is not turning out as I expected it to turn out. And you know what? As we begin to fulfill our calling before the Lord and we walk in complete obedience to him, Life will not always turn out as we expected, will it? I met a guy uh, yesterday at the gym, and uh, um, again, you know, even I walk into the gym and I'm expecting, Lord, you may open up an opportunity. And sure enough, uh, this guy said, "Hey, could you give me a spot?" So I'm helping him out with his, his bench press. We begin to talk a little bit. He'd been uh, in the Marines, he got out of the Marines. Now he's going to A and M, and 
um, we begin to talk a bit and, you know, the expletives are flying. We're talking about this and talking about that. Not from me, but from him, you know, so much. And uh, I thought I better clarify on that. Uh, and um, things aren't turning out in his life as he kind of expected. And I said, yeah, you know, that's what we do. We make a plan, right? We should make plans. But then God steps in. He said, yeah, man, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't always turn out like we want. No, it doesn't. Even when you walk in perfect obedience, that requires courage, requires humility. I hand my life up to the Lord. But also honesty. John was not uh, pretending that this wasn't disappointing. He took that directly to the Lord. And he says, Are, have I missed something? The Lord said, no, you didn't miss anything. You didn't miss anything. But, but, but the courageous life of fulfilling your calling just doesn't always map out as you would expect. So how do we apply this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, your life no less than John the Baptist, has been set apart for God. Paul will say, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, which means your whole life. Because anything and everything you do, you do with your body. (laughs) So what he means is your whole life. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. Therefore glorify God in your body. And I want to encourage you, um, you know, maybe this morning is is, uh, a first moment or another moment in which you say, God, I'm all in. I've been, I've been mostly in in some areas of my life, but I'm, I'm all in. And I really think that uh, as believers, we kind of have to do that over and over and over again. Um, this next week, I'm going to be in Chicago. I'm, I'm doing a wedding there, and, and uh, I, I, re- I, enjoy, I enjoy doing weddings. I've done a bunch of weddings, and I, I really enjoy the moment where the vows are spoken. And if I do a wedding for someone, I make them have some input in these vows. I'm like, these are words that you're speaking to each other, right? So... I want you to know what you're saying and promising. I want, you to, I want you to think about this. And, you know, you don't have to start from scratch. Here's some ideas, but these need to be your promises. But as they're speaking their promises to one another, I remember that I made promises. Right? And I, I renew and refresh my promises and say, I'm all in with Tristy. And I'm set apart for my wife. And I, I take every one of those wedding moments and, and, and refresh and renew my vows to her. And maybe this is a moment for you to refresh and renew your vows to the Lord. Or say for the first time, Lord, I'm all in. Or maybe it's, it's a moment where you don't know if you're all in yet because you need to have that moment where you say yes to Jesus the first time. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you that you gave me all that I need for life. And you say yes to Jesus. And, and then having said yes and he gives you eternal life, let me tell you that the way that the Christian life works is when you consecrate yourself fully to the Lord. You don't take just a little. It's not just another club to join, but it's life. You're also set apart for others. Great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He once said, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you lived and lived well, to which I would add that you lived and you lived well in the name of Jesus. Because there are others outside of our faith who can can live well and make a difference. But did you make a difference in the name of Jesus? People knew why you lived differently. That would be my my, my, uh, addendum to his statement. I would also say this. The purpose of life ultimately is not to be happy, but the happiest life is when you give all to Jesus. Right? That's the paradox, is when you say no to yourself and yes to Jesus and everything, you find the greatest happiness you possibly could imagine, because God's way is best. 
So let's take a moment as we close, and maybe God is calling you this moment to say yes for the first time, or yes, I give my life to you completely, or you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be expectant, to anticipate, to see those moments where you let me walk into your purposes for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us in the dark. We know uh, why we live. We know that you have purchased life for us. And I pray that uh, we would trust the plans that you have for our lives and we would turn over everything to you. Father, give us courage to do that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, Have a great week and be expectant this week. See God open up opportunities for you. See you next week.